From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 341, and today's show is brought to you by Text Expander, Bombus, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? Happy March to you. Happy Mar- It's March again. We're back here again. Hmm. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question from you. Uh, for you. For you. I did it Dear again. Me. I said from you again. For you, from Landon. And Landon wants mm. to know, Jason, Landon's what is your me. favorite breakfast cereal? Um, I feel like we might have done this before, but I'll just Possibly. say it again. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Captain. Apostrophe N. Captain mm-hmm. Crunch is my favorite. Sort of like traditional. I, I, I never have it because I don't really eat kid cereal. I, I rarely eat cereal. Um, when I do eat cereal, it's something boring that an adult would eat. Like I think multigrain Cheerios is <laughs> is my current. We bought like the 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 store had one of those sales where it was you know buy five boxes and get the sixth box free. And I sort of shrugged and was like, well, I'll eat it eventually. Now and I so have now six we have like boxes of six boxes cereal of, of Cheerios. Want. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's you know Captain Crunch is is classic. I, there are others that I liked, but uh, I think that was my favorite. And I know that's very uh, controversial. Why? But, oh, uh, a lot of people don't like it. it it's, it's got this texture where some people like say it kind of scrapes the roof of your mouth and it right. sort of does, but it's, I love that flavor and uh, that was my favorite. How, how else are you going to feel alive in the morning, Jason? You know? That's right. It's like a little, it's like a little brush with death, uh, but yeah. with sweetness and you combine them together and that's, uh, that's uh, part of this complete breakfast. That's the Cap'n. Cap'n. Don't forget it. One day he hopes to be an admiral. <laughs> if you'd like to send in a question to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk or use question mark SnellTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. So on uh, the last episode of Connected, me and Federico were talking about Spotify Hi-Fi, which was something that was announced while we were recording last week, which is right. Spotify's um, high-fidelity audio streaming tier that they're going to be unveiling at a certain point. Spotify high five. Spotify high five. Spotify high. Spotify high. And both uh, me and Federico had this conversation, and you wrote an article about it as well, basically saying that Apple are kind of behind here. So, and I figured that you might want to touch on that this week. Yeah, I mean, I I loved your conversation with Federico. He's somebody who cares about high quality audio. I like what he said, which is like basically, don't at me about high quality audio being imperceptible and what that. He enjoys it. And my MacWorld article, I wrote a little thing about like. How I realized I kind of probably needed to explain how uh, audio, like lossless audio compression works. So yep. I, you know, very briefly, the idea that like low bit rates, you can tell, like I can tell uh, on like 128 MP3s, I could always tell like the symbols, all the like kind of like high shimmery stuff sounded like flangy and weird and be like, that doesn't sound right. I, I think most people, for most people, the bit rates on streaming services now... Um, if you're not paying for Spotify and you're getting Spotify free, you're getting a low bit rate and it sounds terrible. But um, to me, um, and my satellite radio in my car sounds terrible to me because it's a very low bit rate. But uh, Apple Music streaming and Spotify is using a similar bit rate. I think they're using a higher bit rate, but it's MP3 instead of AAC. So they're about the same quality. Um, but some people like higher resolution. They say they, they can tell the difference. They want CD quality or they want even higher resolution than that. And they, they will... Uh, and and so services have started to add high quality audio mm-hmm. to as like an upgrade plan um, for people who want it. Um, and I think Federico's point of like don't at me about this is good because my point in my article was it doesn't matter if you use it. 
It doesn't matter if you care about it. What matters is that Apple is the only remaining music streaming service that doesn't have a high quality option. And that looks bad. Mm-hmm. That's it. It looks it looks really bad. It is a war of features. And every article written about uh, comparing music services now is going to say Apple doesn't offer a high quality option. And that yep. leads to this perception that Apple Music is low quality, which it isn't. I get it. It isn't. Believe me, I get it. But it's uh, it's one of these things that is a marketing issue. It's a perception issue. Um. I guess literally and figuratively a perception issue because some people can perceive the sounds uh, and other people can't. But um, I have been meaning to write an article about this for a while because I felt like Apple had a real opportunity here with the uh, the spatial audio stuff that they've been putting in AirPods, um, which is all for music or for movies. Uh, it's multi-channel audio for movies and TV because they they offer multi-channel audio and then Apple processes it and does spatial processing and it sounds really great. And um, I used to buy, I, I mean, I bought like five of them. It wasn't around that long, but in the early 2000s, there was this uh, uh, DVD audio and super audio CD kind of format thing and it failed. But the idea there was that it was high, high bit rate audio, but also multi-channel audio. So like a 5.1 mix of your favorite album. And um and so Amazon is experimenting with this it turns out. They've got some Dolby Atmos things that they're doing that are I think maybe even like a a demo with Dolby to try to sort of bring this technology back in the streaming context. But that would be a way for Apple to push the ball forward a little bit and say we're going to not just do a high quality tier, we're going to use the spatial audio feature in your airpods to make a music experience that's even more immersive right like and 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 sell that Mm -hmm. which strikes me as a very apple thing to do so i wonder if they'll do that but it feels like they have to do something because right now they're just sort of sitting there using essentially itunes plus quality um audio streams which are fine but um the perception is that they're the only literally the only service that doesn't offer a quality story and you don't that's not a place you want to be if you're apple even if nobody or most people don't care about the quality or can't tell the difference it just it, it, from a marketing standpoint it looks really bad to have to be the one that doesn't have a, a story to tell about that I mean, for me, frankly, it just comes down to if you're the company that sells what is publicly perceived as overpriced audio gear, you should have an overpriced high-end audio streaming service. Yeah, right. I think that that's the truth of it. And and if, again, I don't know, they may be working on this, but knowing about the existence of the multi-channel audio stuff and, and finding out that Amazon's been experimenting with the Dolby Atmos thing, it feels like there's a real path here for Apple to do the most Apple-like thing and not just say, we're going to do high quality stream, but to say, we're going to do this amazing program where we're going to offer, if you know, if you, if you pay a little bit extra, you get all of these at higher, at enhanced quality. Um, you get some other stuff at enhanced bit rate. You get some stuff that's going to be even, it's going to blow your mind because it's going to be spatial audio with Dolby Atmos, you know? there's a story to be told here which sounds very much like a story that apple would tell so i hope they do it because as as somebody who has those you know handful of 5.1 mixes of albums that i like 
I don't listen to them often because I usually listen to music while I'm working. Mm-hmm. But when I when I want to have and it's sort of what Federico does, right? Which is the sit down kind of I'm going to experience music kind of thing. Sit down and listen to music. Yeah, I will put those on, and it's great because like your the vocal is coming out of the center speaker in my in my home theater at home, um, and the music from the right and the left, and there's part of it that's coming from behind me, and I'm kind of inside the music, and it's pretty cool. And I've played some of those as movies that are not movies, right? On using spatial audio on the AirPods Pro, and they don't you know they don't sound quite as impressive but it still sounds pretty good and different and again having a spatial component like that to music beyond the just sort of stereo tracks that are standard right left and right mm-hmm. is um again it's not for everyone it's kind of a novelty it's probably not something that's ever going to be taken super seriously by most people but it would give Apple an opportunity to tell a story about how, how high quality they are and how committed they are to quality and music and et cetera, et cetera. And I think they need to do that now, given what Spotify has done. All right, let's do some upstream headlines, which is where we touch on some of the things going on in the world of streaming media. Uh, those who chose to believe were right. Jason Sudeikis last <laughs> night picked up Best Actor in a Comedy at the Golden Globes. Yeah. Uh, it was Apple's only win. They only had two nominations. It was their only win. Um, or did they have three? But they, 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 I think they maybe had. I mean, well, they, it Ted Lasso was also up for it, comedy, right? yeah, and didn't win that one, which was not surprising. But I think, I think this is the this was the most logical result that it would be a Jason Sudeikis win, and they got it, which yeah. is great for Apple. Like that is that, yeah. it, and it goes. It also is funny, right? Like all of the talk that we had. I mean, they did win. They won a Golden Globe last year too, right? For morning mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Um. So, and the Golden Globes are silly. And not to be taken seriously, and I'm sure they want to win an Emmy, and all of those things are true too. But when are the Emmys? They're it's later in the year, right? They're in like August. Okay. Yeah, they're a totally different time because the Golden Globes are tied to basically the Oscar race, and then they also throw in TV. Right. Um, right. Whereas the Emmys is is at a completely different time of year because it's traditionally sort of timed for the old-fashioned uh, American TV network season structure. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a thing. But this is it, it's also funny, right? Like the idea that the ted lasso show is the is now like it, uh-huh. apple's first two big awards are the morning show and ted lasso yeah. like i mean this is it's not surprising expected. now but yeah. it was surprising when they were putting together what their slate of shows was going to be that the, it shows you just quite how ted lasso really has uh taken off as a word of mouth kind of show and i've i've heard a lot of people i'm sure you have too talk about how they're using their apple they bought an apple device and it gets them their free apple tv plus time and they're Mm -hmm. using it to watch ted lasso because they heard so much about it i'm hearing that a lot i'll say like they were lucky is not the right word but like you know because Shit's Creek, you know they that they were who I thought would, would probably pick it up, like with with um, Eugene Levy. Yeah, well, Eugene Levy sure would yeah. have been in that uh, category because Catherine O'Hara won for uh, Best Actress, and it also won for Best Show. Sure. So uh, you know there was a possibility that they were going to do that again, but I think that shows uh, to the you know just the quality of Sudeikis's performance. Right, that that they wanted to give him it, and I mean, I don't know if you've watched it, but it did not. He did not look like he thought he was going to win that. He was not prepared for a <laughs> for a speech. It was kind of funny, really, uh, which I think is kind of cute in its own way. Like 
it, it was a tough category, I think. Um, and and I'm I'm pleased he won it because it was a show deserving of it. And uh, again, like we've already seen, Apple put a ton of money and effort and work behind um, this show, and I think it's going to continue. There was something kind of funny. I watched some clips of a like a press thing afterwards, and someone asked him about merch. They want like what? This like a, yeah. why aren't you wearing a uh, like why aren't you wearing a jersey of the team? And he's like, well, as soon as Sony and Apple and I think one other company can come to some kind of agreement, we want to do it. So what it seems like is merch ah. is a thing that is wanted for uh, Ted Lasso, but it's getting stuck somewhere. Ah, it's probably in who owns it, right? I would expect like who owns who would own those rights. But I really want merch. Uh, I wanted to just note while we were talking about Apple TV, I'm up to date on For All Mankind now. No spoilers. It's really good. No. I like the first two two episodes. Yep. And uh, there was something that I kind of, when me and Adina were watching it last night, we were saying, uh, the guy who plays Gordo, Michael Dorman, I really hope this show is a big break for him because he's such a good actor. So he's the guy who also played uh, the lead in Patriot. Yep, sad spies. And I, and I, you know, this is obviously a big role for him, uh, but because of the way this show is structured, I can't imagine he's in it past season three because they're doing these like decade right. jumps. Sure. And, like all of the actors are going to age out of this show yes, for faster sure. than they would otherwise. And I just think he's such a good actor. I hope that this gives him his next big role as well because he, he's so good at everything I've seen him in. Um, yeah, and he really does the um, kind of messed up guy yeah. who's trying but is super so well. broken so well. There's a moment in a because I'm I'm ahead I'm because uh, I got secret mm. secret for all Look mankind me. access. Yeah. I've been uh, yeah I've been testing these episodes for a little while mm-hmm. and um, anyway there's an there's a scene later on in the season a little bit where where um, it, <laughs> I literally expected him. Somebody asked him how he's doing, and I literally expected him to say, pretty good, because <laughs> that's what the character in Patriot says. And, and listener, if you haven't seen Patriot, he's not doing pretty good. He's never <laughs> he's, doing pretty good. He's never doing pretty good, ever, but that's what he always says. So, by the way, Patriot's on Amazon, two seasons. Go watch it. It's yeah, brilliant. if but you have for seen All Mankind, it's also For All Mankind, good. and you like the character of Gordo, you need to watch Patriot. Because it's yep. it's absolutely just a fantastic show, and I think and don't I, let the name yeah. ha- again. The name mm-hmm. should be Sad Spies. That is a more accurate depiction of what it is. It is some sad, very sad spies. <laughs> there is no it's, patriotism in this show. No, really, no. It's it's not. Mis- the, there's some misguided patriotism in it. I guess is the what the yes. title really is. But the the the. It's a, it's like a, I can't think of the right word, but it's, it's a, it's like a misnomer, like the, the, yeah. the, the title yep. purposefully. Mm-hmm. CBS All Access is becoming Paramount Plus, and Paramount Plus is, we've got a bunch of more information about it. This was a, uh, a streaming service that we knew was coming. This is from Viacom CBS, but they, they had their kind of day where they spoke about here are all of our plans and here's all of our content. And quite frankly, they got something pretty good going on. So it's launching in March 4th in the US. This is another service that I'm not sure is ever going to make its way to the UK. Uh, $4.99 for the ad supported tier, but that's coming in June. Uh, the 
the ad-free tier is $9.99, and that will also include live sports and news. But CBS All Access is going to become Paramount Plus, and if you're an existing subscriber, you get your price kind of uh, grandfathered in. Yep. They have a huge back catalog of shows and movies with some new and original content. Um, they are doing a new Star Trek project every quarter. So this is, yeah. you know, taking the Disney approach here if they've got a, a really popular yeah. uh, deep not- thing. Yeah, it's not like new Star Trek every week, but they announced they had a, a as part of their rollout of this that um, they want to have a new set of Star Trek uh, dropping every quarter. They have five shows in production right now, which is kind of mind boggling to think <laughs> of, but they they actually do have five Star Trek shows in production, two animated, three live action, mm-hmm. um, and more that are in development. Um, and the the news item here that I thought was interesting, uh, and there was a lot of animated series news because again these streaming services they want to appeal to a broad audience they want parents to have content for themselves but also for their kids um they were developing a nickelodeon uh star trek show so a show that was going to be on the nickelodeon cable channel uh for kids animated series and um their announcement last week is that that's actually going to premiere on Paramount Plus first and will later air on Nickelodeon. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting little window into, again, the priority of these uh, companies that are launching these streaming services to say uh, the streaming service gets to eat first yeah. <laughs> and then the, the network can follow. So they want they want to have that as one of their uh, Star Trek shows. And also it allows them to bulk up their animated catalog, which uh, is also great for fans of Avatar The Last Airbender and Korra, Legend of Korra, because they're going to like make a whole a franchise thing. out of yeah. those on Paramount Plus too. They're creating Avatar Studios to create a series of films and TV shows in that universe. They are... <laughs> they're actually doing the Frasier revival. It's going to star Kelsey Grammer. This has been something rumored for a long time. Uh, so far, Kelsey Grammer is the only person uh, set to be in the show, reprising his role of Frasier. If he is not a podcaster, I quit everything. If Kelsey Grammer <laughs> is not a podcaster, I do not know what they're doing with themselves over at Paramount. It's so, like That's what it should be, right? Like It seems like such a perfect fit. Uh, I will be so mad if they don't do that. Frasier, the podcaster. Uh, and then The Italian Job, Flashdance, and Fatal Attraction are all getting TV shows. So an interesting mix of stuff they got over there. They also I saw as well, because, you know, Paramount, uh, they own uh, a lot of great movies like The Godfather, and they're going to do like a behind-the-scenes documentary of The yeah. Godfather type thing. So. Well, it's, you know, a lot of this stuff is going to flop, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? A lot of the franchise, everything, franchise, all the things is going to flop. But I I think maybe you got to try it. Because one of the things um, that we've talked about in Upstream for over the years is the value in having a franchise that draws people to your service. And the only way you can get that access to that franchise is to be on your service. And so they got Star Trek, which is good. Like this is our, our conversation was mostly about Apple not having something like that. So Apple has to build things up from the ground up, which they can do, but it is going to be longer and harder than like Disney being like, hey, Marvel, <laughs> Star Wars. And you're like, okay, got it. Get it. Got it. Disney Disney movies, Marvel and Star Wars sold. And at least CBS All Access now, Paramount Plus is going to say Star Trek, but they're like, but more, we need more of those things. So uh, yeah. Uh, I don't. Do I think that the Flashdance 
franchise is going to make it on Paramount Plus? Probably not, but you never know. Cobra Kai seemed like a real eye, mm-hmm. eye roller, a real head scratcher. Um, and that was on YouTube and now is on Netflix and has actually been successful. And that's like, why are we reviving the Karate Kid again? But, you know, they they did a pretty good job, at least, you know, a good enough job for it to be successful and get multiple seasons. So uh, probably worth the try. Uh, but most of them, it'll be like, oh, that was a terrible idea to revive that or reboot that. And nobody wants to see it. But they may they may uh, happen on something that will work. And Disney uh, announced and finalized a bunch of release dates for some shows. There's just a couple that I wanted to mention because I'm excited about them. Uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be coming on March 19th, which is good. So there'll be a short break between one division ending and the next Marvel show. Uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch comes on May the 4th, of course. Uh, Loki is coming on June 11th, which is a, a I believe is a, a bit of a delay for Loki than uh, when it was expected. So there'll be a longer gap, it would seem, between The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and that than there was between WandaVision and it. And then Monsters at Work, which is the Monsters, Inc. Uh, show, which I didn't know is actually not following the title characters of Monsters, Inc., it's like a, a new character, but set um, in that world in between um, Monsters University and Monsters, Inc. is where it's set. Oh, uh, okay. But that's coming in July. All right. Yeah, it's, I, I don't expect that there will be literally a Marvel or, um, or Star Wars premiere every single week on Disney+. Plus. I, I feel like you could do that, but it's not going to be, especially now that the pandemic has really changed schedules, it's going to be a little more rocky than that. But I think the goal is, like, again, going back to Paramount Plus, Star Trek every quarter sort of makes sense, right? If, you, mm-hmm. if every Star Trek show was 13 episodes long, it would be one a week. But it's not, and they're not, and it's okay, right? Like, their their goal is to basically make it very, very hard for you to cancel because there's nothing coming for six months, right? That's I would the, expect that's the that idea. Disney will probably want to be like every six weeks. There's going to be either a Marvel, Star Wars, or Pixar show. Yeah, and if you throw in the Bad Batch, which is you know it's Star Wars and it's animated, mm-hmm. and so it's not going to appeal to necessarily the same people who are watching the Marvel stuff. But like sure. they're getting to the point where they're having premieres basically every week and of original series, and that's a that's really good. Like I, I think. Again, the catalog, we've, we've talked about this so much. The catalog's important for some people, and it's nice to have the catalog there. But providing an impetus for people to open your app and watch an episode and then like see what else is there, like it's good to provide that impetus and also to make people not be able to say, well, I'm just going to cancel Disney Plus for a while. Um, because I'll 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 come back in six months and watch more Disney movies, but it's like oh, but that new Marvel show and that new Star Wars show, like it's important to have that strategy. And Disney has finally gotten there, um, and it's going to be very powerful for them. So I wish uh, I wish Paramount Plus luck in doing the same. It's going to be a harder thing for them, but um, although I kind of like that service, it's it's I, I've had CBS All Access for a while because of Star Trek, but like they've been slowly importing all the Viacom stuff, which is what makes this thing Paramount Plus. Um, and being able to get like Stephen Colbert is great. Now you can also get The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on there, um, and they're going to do a weekly show as well. That's like mm-hmm. an extra, it's like a spinoff, uh, topical thing yeah. with Trevor Noah. Like they're they're putting some money into that kind of stuff. Um, and Viacom's got a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting channels that they're putting in the mix. So it's going to be a much CBS All Access was okay, 
but uh, Paramount Plus will have a pretty interesting set of content. They they're gonna have to find their way. Um, but it's it's uh I don't know. I think there's a lot to be said for it. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends at Smile, and we'll talk to you about about Text Expander. If you're feeling like you've got too much to do and not enough time, if you're wondering how you can claw back some time but don't know where to start. Text Expander is the answer for you. Text Expander helps you work faster, but also smarter, so you can focus on your time and your most important work. And with just a few keystrokes, Text Expander will keep you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. With Text Expander in tow, you can speed through emails in a fraction of the time by expanding forms with fill-in-the-blank fields using a quick abbreviation. You're able to save some serious time by storing and expanding phrases that you type frequently and get your message right every time by expanding expanding content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. I have been using TextExpander for years, and I've only increased my usage of it over time. Like one of the more recent things in my usage is to have shared uh, snippets. So we have a bunch of shared snippets at Relay FM for things that we find ourselves all needing to type, but also the idea of having the person who's best at creating language for a certain thing, create that language and then share it with everybody else. Super awesome. I love it. It's a great feature of Text Expander. If you haven't tried Text Expander out yet, trust me, you do. You should do it now. And there's no better time than right now because upgrade listeners can get 20% off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander and Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we have some new Mac rumors, Jason. Um, so oh the first one is related to the MacBook Pro. So you remember back in January, Ming-Chi Kuo reported that the next MacBook Pros would have more ports, but we didn't know what they were going to be. Uh, Kuo re- followed up last week by saying that two of the ports that will be returning are the HDMI and SD card slot. Now, SD card, I'll say that felt like a lock, right? Like that one, it yeah. kind of felt like that's probably one that's going to come back because... There isn't really anything to replace it because of the way that you pull stuff from an SD card, right? It's not like with USB, where ultimately USB-C is going to replace USB. If you needed to take stuff off of an SD card, you were always going to be using a dongle if there's no SD card slot on the side of a laptop. Or a USB card to connect to the device and read it off the device via USB, which is what I mostly do and is is a pain. And Mm -hmm. it's a MacBook Pro, right? Like I know that. I know that a lot of people are like, well, I don't use an SD card. What's that for? But it's like the story of pro media people using a MacBook Pro and getting media off their cards, their video cameras and their uh, their big fancy cameras and other equipment like us with podcasters having uh, audio recorders, like telling that story that media pros want an SD card slot for the MacBook Pro. Like it's a little it's really a little slot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it tells and it tells the story of uh, listening to pros, right? The classic narrative we've heard from Apple for the last like four years, which is we're listening to our pro customers. SD card fits directly into we're listening to our pro customers. I don't anticipate the MacBook Air is going to get an SD card, right? But uh, the MacBook mm-hmm. Pro, yeah, I could see it. HDMI is interesting to me. Now, my assumption is HDMI is to help people connect to like projectors and other screens at the workplace right. yeah, and no, stuff it's, like it's, that. Like, it's presentation, right? It, yeah. it really is just having a universal plug to present on um, a TV or a projector. 
I think that's the story there, which is a different kind of pro workflow, but I think it is Mm -hmm. a legitimate uh, pro-ish, like business professional in that case. But, um, and, and, you know, one of the things we've talked about here repeatedly is the importance of Apple maintaining uh, space between their products, right? Like uh, the iPad Pro and the iPad Air are perilously close together. And the MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air, the M1 models, are almost identical, right? Almost identical. So, you know, if you push it apart and you're like, well, if you want to, do you plug into HDMI to do presentations a lot? Do you use an SD card a lot? Well, you need the MacBook Pro then. Pretty clear. It kind of feels like that is like a real tangible difference, right? Like the MacBook Pro is the laptop that has the ports on it. And yeah. Th- that's the thing, right? And it's yeah. like, you you know if you're the type of person that needs them, and that might be enough for you. I'd say for me personally, um, the SD card slot, I don't really use that much, but I wouldn't, you know, it's like, whatever. I just put it on there. I, might, I could see myself maybe using it in the future. I've used them in the past. It's not while hdmi i I don't i don't really feel like i I need it like for my own you know it's like it's fine that it's there like for for my own personal usage like i would airplay to my tv or whatever and but hdmi is fine what i personally would want the most though is at least one regular usb port that's what i want usb a yes yeah i don't think that's gonna happen no neither do i but this is like my dream scenario would be like two or three maybe three usb c and one usb a just because there's just so much stuff still that i'm dealing with which is regular usb so here's here's my argument against that which is most usb devices that you're attaching have cables and you just change the cable right but that's not always something i have right like this isn't necessarily all my stuff Right. Like I'm in a like in the same way that you would find yourself in a scenario where you need a HDMI port where you could conceivably use a mm-hmm. different cable or a dongle. I'm making the same argument, but for USB A. Right. Right. I I get it, but I feel like it's a lower priority because in many cases people things are shifting over to USB C. And I just have a hard time seeing Apple go that far back. Like that yeah, that would be too. wow. Oh, can you I imagine? I don't think they're gonna do it. I'm not asking. Can you imagine? For it, but- I, it's what I would want, right? Like if, if Craig, I was choosing Craig my Joswiak own. on on stage and he's like, and and look at this great USB-A port. It's just like the one in the iMac that we rolled out in 1998. <laughs> the future. Right, but I don't no. think it, I, no, see, you think it's like putting HDMI on it to just be like, look, we know that we've heard from our customers that people in work settings need HDMI yeah. and you can say oh, the same for USB-A. That's, that is how they do it. I just, I have a hard, I think that would be, that's the toughest, it's the toughest mm-hmm. ask of all of these is, be a is, tough comparison. That one retreating it would be the toughest of all compares to compare that giant port to the uh, mm-hmm. the svelte little USB Cs and I I think there is a size issue here too because it does take up so much space um, but you're right I mean there is a I I your argument is not unreasonable I I think it's um, less of an issue maybe than the others but I think it is uh it, it's still there can I can I share my my theory. By mm-hmm. the way, because this is something that I feel like we 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 haven't gone into yet, and and there was an ask upgrade I think that we didn't answer about it, which is my theory about MagSafe. I just want to throw it in while we're talking about this, which is we're talking about ports on mm-hmm. new Macs. Um, maybe I have mentioned this before. I'm just throw it in there though. I I really want to see that MagSafe port that is recommended or uh, that is rumored. I want it to do data. That for me, that's the trick with that one because then you get an extra port. 
you get an extra USB port. That MagSafe port is actually also a data port. It does power and data via USB-C, but it uses the MagSafe connection to attach to it. And if you do that, then you've got an extra extra Wait, port. Wait, I'm confused. Can you explain this to me? I'm not 100% sure what you're saying. This is Well, old MagSafe just did power, right? So what I'm right. saying is new MagSafe does power and data. So you can use it as a, if you, let's say that there's an Apple designed um, monitor right. that has some ports on it. Right. Instead of attaching oh, okay, one, pl- cool. one mm-hmm. plug for power and one plug for data like they yep. used to do, they just have a MagSafe and you plug it in and now it was going to drive that monitor and power that la- I or, couldn't work yeah, and power out the laptop. What data you were sending from the wall socket, but now, now uh, I No, but this, this is the thing, right? Is yeah. so that you could also use it for other stuff, like especially yeah. in a docking station kind of thing, but it gives you an extra USB port. I don't, again, do I think, do, do I know they're going to do that? Well, of course not, but uh, it would be cool and so it would allow them to say that MagSafe is more than it used to be. You're asking that MagSafe is, is basically Thunderbolt with magnets. I'm, uh, yeah, that's, right. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, I mean, like, it's like Thunderbolt, but with magnets. Because then you, yeah, would, you yeah. would free up a port or two on the laptop itself, right? You could even, you know. If, depending on what you've plugged, what you've got plugging in, well, you've got more going on for you. And I think the docking station thing is probably the reason you do something like that. Because otherwise, as somebody who used to have a, a Thunderbolt display and plugged a laptop into it every day, mm-hmm. you have to plug in power and data in order to get those ports on the back of the of the monitor to work. You have to connect it to the computer, and they use a different uh, path. So you have to plug in two things. Um, because they they provided like a MagSafe on the Thunderbolt display. So what if they could do that with one plug? Because you could, I mean, there's nothing intrinsic about MagSafe that means that it only has to be power. It really is a connector. So why not make it a USB, obviously an Apple proprietary USB-C connection? Um, And ideally, if they do that, they would also make it that it wasn't um, wired hardwired into the power brick but was just magsafe on one end and USB-C on the other end and then you know you've basically got another USB-C port if you want it mm. that that does just like existing USB-C does power and data maybe i don't know throwing it in there uh moving on to the iMac uh John Prosser is reporting that the next iMac will be coming with color options quick sidebar I just want to say I don't really like John Prosser's style. I find him to be aggressive and it doesn't match and I don't I don't like it. And his track record's been spotty, but he does get some stuff right. And this report this report is interesting to talk about. I think in the same way that the AirPods Pro discussion, or like sorry, the AirPods 3 discussion was interesting from last week. So I want to talk about it. But I just want to say that cuz there's like a new I don't know. Maybe this is making me an old man, Jason. I don't know. But there's like a lot of like newer people that are leakers, which I don't know why we needed a new word, but we do. They're leakers, not they don't report rumors, they report leaks. Mm. And there's like a a weird culture in this new group of people. And John Prosser is one of these people. And he's he has accurate information. He also has a lot of not accurate information, but I just don't like the way he presents his information. Uh, but nevertheless, the colors that are suggested to be included as the options uh, for these iMacs are 
uh, silver, space gray, green, sky blue, and rose gold. So it's effectively a mixture of some of the colors we've seen on iPads and the AirPods Max. Uh, the report from Process states that these colors are expected to trigger nostalgia for the iMac G3, which I just think is wrong. I, I, I think that that's a misunderstanding of nostalgia <laughs> because these aren't the colors of the iMac I mean, G3. In in the sense that colored iMacs haven't happened since then, I guess. But beyond that, no. I, I think yeah. if Apple were doing it to trigger nostalgia, they would choose different colors. Uh, I uh, think they're yes. doing it because they... They, if they're going to do this, it's because they've been putting these colors on their products. Uh, I don't think that it is to, to, to make people feel nostalgic for the iMac G3. And I don't like these colors, mostly. They're, they're very pale. They're not very bright. I think they're mm-hmm. boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that Apple's doing colors. These are not the colors that I would choose. I think that they're really timid and not that interesting. If you like them, great. Like We don't have to agree on that, but I don't particularly like them, and they certainly don't. I would be bummed out if these are the colors, because it's like yep. I've been wanting color for so long. And, I mean, this is like a thing. I have not enjoyed the colors of the iPads or the AirPods. I don't like the colors that they've had. Like, the aluminum colors, uh, they're way too pale for me, and they're not, they're not vibrant enough. Look, I would be into the black one. I'll get the black one, right? Like, because I just think that that will probably look cool. Um, but it would just be a shame to me to not get Honestly, the iPhone colors are better, right? Like some of the more recent iPhone colors are better than the colors we've seen on the the iPads and stuff like that. So I would hope that if they were going to do it, they would maybe go back to some of the colors we've had on iPhones more recently, not necessarily uh, this way around. Like I wouldn't mind the, the, like the blue of the Pro. It's a better blue uh, than they've done on some of like the blue on the iPad. Like, the blue yep. on the iPad doesn't even look blue, you know? So, uh, but what do you think about this, though? Do you do you personally think that they will have the iMac come in colors? I don't know. I've been advocating for colors on Macs for a long time, and mm-hmm. so I think it would be great. And these colors would disappoint me, but I do think they should do colors. Do I think that this is the time? I don't know. I mean, I feel like they could have done it years ago, and they haven't bothered. So is now the time? Maybe like if if it's a real redesign where it's a new iMac adding colors in, it is a selling point. They can say, hey, remember the iMac started with colors and now we have colors again, even if the the nostalgia isn't what I'd say. But they could use that as a as a story point for these to say we're bringing fun back or whatever. Mm. We're bringing a very pale shade of fun back to the iMac. But maybe the nostalgia thing, if they are going to do it, is that that they're going to force it. Right. Where it's like, you know, the original Mac had this and now it's a new generation for the Mac with Apple Silicon. So we're bringing colors into it. You know, and that's like that's not nostalgia at that point. You're you're forcing me to feel a thing. But I think they I think they could and they should. I I I think these colors are that are rumored are unfortunate if they're matching the colors that we've seen. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that there's a there was a mock-up that's using a it's like using an old Apple display basically as a proxy for a iMac. It seems to me. Yeah. But um, looking at that mock-up, I was like, Ugh, give me the space gray, like which is me. This is me talking, who is very excited about color. Mm-hmm being kind of like not impressed with 
those particular colors. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure color on an iMac really works anyway with the 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 way that you use it and you're staring at it. You're not taking it out into the world, um, and most of the color space would be on the back. It's not like the iMac where the side panels were super brightly colored, and so there was there was color where wherever you looked at it. This is like the back of your iMac has a color, and then maybe a little bit on the front. Mm-hmm. Not. I mean, there, there's another reason why it doesn't really strike the nostalgic tone that it's it's kind of hidden away, whereas laptops are where the color really could shine, yep. and that's where I want to see it. Uh, Prosser also shared some supposed details on the smaller Mac Pro, saying that it will look like three to four Mac minis stacked on top of each other, compute unit on the bottom, big heatsink on the top. Okay. That's kind of how I felt about this, like... I don't know, man. I could have said that. Like, I, that, this, I wanted to just share that as like an additional thing. Maybe it will look like that. It would be kind of boring if it looked like that. If it just looked like four Mac Pros stacked on top of each other, I don't think Mac that would minis. go in there. That's what four I meant. Mac so pros four Mac Pros would, would be huge. Be, imagine the horror of all of those circles. Um, yeah, I mean, that be would be the most boring design they could do. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, I think you. Apple can be predictable, but I think you predict future Apple designs by essentially taking an existing Apple design and stretching it at your peril because Apple very rarely does that. Like they could do that because they're playing with the same sort of design language. They could do that. But I think there's usually another story there. Like, the I'm the Mac Mini works as it is, but a a, a tall Mac Mini. I'm not sure that makes sense, but I, I guess I guess we'll find out if this product ever actually exists. Do you think they are going to do it? You can put money on the table right now. Well, I mean, the I'm not entirely sure whether this is another source or whether it's literally the echo chamber of Apple rumors going yeah. on here, because if. If this is not the echo chamber, then it's like, okay, well, there's some momentum building here, but the momentum may just be the echo in the echo chamber. Um, I I think German's sources are very good. I don't know about Prosser's, because um, like you said, he's been spotty. Um, German sources say this is happening. And so I think I'm inclined to believe that there is something going on here. Um but Apple could always change direction and what the sources leak is not always the whole story of something. Mm-hmm. So whether this is like a new Mac or what, this is the new take on Mac pro, or they're doing like a, uh, this is the, the Apple Silicon Mac pro, but they're going to keep around the other Mac pro. Like there's a lot of, a lot of questions here. And how many, how many pro Macs do they need? Um, but you could also argue that this is basically the pro Mac mini essentially. And that they're they're going to do the low end Mac Mini that's the M1, and then they're going to create this Pro Mac Mini, and that there's room for it. I don't know. Like this is a product they don't need to make. They they only need one Mac Pro. <laughs> and so either they're doing this because they have something very particular to say, or because they're going to be moving the other Mac Pro out the door. I feel like, but I don't know. It's a perplexing thing because it would be a, a really different move for them. Um, but in the Apple Silicon universe, maybe like this product. Maybe this product makes sense for them. Maybe this product showcases everything that they are, have been doing with Apple Silicon in terms of higher-end processors and that they really want to put an enormous amount of processing power in a small container 
Um, because, you know, a Mac Pro that you can get into and, and deal with all the, you know, stuff on the inside. You know, Apple doesn't love that, right? Like they do it because they have customers who want it. But, you know, Apple doesn't like that, right? Apple wants everything to be sealed and perfect. <laughs> That's what they want. So this rumored thing feels much more like an Apple product than the Mac Pro. But they made the Mac Pro. I don't know. It's. I'm really looking forward to seeing... Because there's a change here. It's like Apple saying, like, we want you to be happy, pro pro developers and, and pro users and all that kind of stuff. We want you to be happy, so we'll make this Mac Pro. But we would be happy if you were happier <laughs> with something where you didn't have the expandability. So what if we make that, right? And like, if, if, if we can make something that makes you happy, that makes us happy, we're all happy. And that could be what this smaller Mac Pro is. But we'll see. This episode is brought to you by... DoorDash. Maybe tonight you're looking for Chinese and somebody else wants pizza, someone else is craving frozen yogurt. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. DoorDash connects you with the restaurants you love right now, bringing food right to your door. And now you can get the grocery essentials you need with DoorDash too. Get drinks and snacks and other household items delivered to your home in under an hour. Ordering is super easy. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with the contact us delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and the Cheesecake Factory. Jason Snell, could you uh, tell the Upgradians a little bit about DoorDash and your experiences? Well, you use an app and uh, you dial up what you want. And you can do it again. My tip is do it in advance, not when you're hungry. Don't don't buy hungry. You'll regret it. And uh, then set it for when you want your food to arrive. And then it just arrives then, which is for me, that is the that is the killer feature of this. As you say, here's what I want and then deliver it to my door at 6 p.m. And you do that in the in the afternoon sometime. And then you forget about it. And then there's a knock on your door and it's a person who just uh, brought you food. That's pretty good. Sounds pretty wonderful. For a limited time, listeners of this show can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the US and UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code UPGRADE2021 in the US, UPGRADE AUS in Australia. I want to spell that out for you. That's UPGRADE2021 if you're in the US, UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia for that 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Twitter last week had an investor day. And at oh, their investor they day, they had like a little presentation and they announced some upcoming features. And one of the things that they're working on is something called Super Follows. Now, this is Twitter's first foray into asking people for money. Uh, it's not the one I think we were necessarily expecting. Like, I think most people assumed that they would have some kind of thing where you would pay the money and there would be no ads anymore. Uh, what Twitter are going to be doing instead is basically rolling out a creator-focused monetization system 
wherein you pay people you follow to get access to special content. So in their slides, they showed some examples of some of the perks that could be added to the system. It was $4.99 a month was the, the amount that was being charged. And some of the perks included bonus tweets. So these are tweets that are otherwise hidden to non-paying followers. Uh, you would get a supporter badge on your profile. You know, maybe it says like, I support at Jay Snell or something like that. Or maybe there's like a little Zeppelin or something. Um, there's, you could get newsletters and Twitter's bought that newsletter company review. And that this is one of the perks for that. Something called community access, which maybe thinks maybe you could tie into Discord. Like they would have a thing that if you're a super follower of a certain person, you can get access to a Discord, which is kind of like what Patreon does. Um, and Memberful do it as well. So that's who we use for our membership system and it ties people in and it checks who's a paying member, that kind of stuff. Uh, also Fleets, which is their stories. Uh, they It looks like they're basically an Instagram close friends type thing. So you can have super followers Fleets and access to join into conversations in Twitter spaces. So super followers would be able to actually say, hey, like join into a conversation. So there isn't a timeline on this feature going live yet but it's in development at Twitter. They're clearly comfortable with the idea being out there, right? If you show something like this, everyone's going to write about it. Yep. Um, there's no idea of the, the money yet. They're not actually saying how much someone can charge. Like, do you set the price of their tiers? Um, and also they're not talking about, you know, how much money anybody's going to make because no creator using this feature will make four ninety nine a month from a user because there's going right. to be an app store cut. There's going to be a Twitter cut. I expect it to be kind of like Twitch which would mean on right. four ninety nine you'd make like a dollar fifty or a dollar sixty per user. So, in kind of one move here, Twitter's going after a bunch of companies like Substack, Patreon, Clubhouse, Twitch, YouTube. In a way, YouTube have their own kind of like behind the scenes type thing. Yep. And I think that there's something smart here because creators and personalities have spent years encouraging their audiences on other platforms to follow them on Twitter so they can share what they're up to. Now these creators can offer these audiences more access to them than they could get before. What do you think of all this, Jason? I think it's good that Twitter is trying things yes. because they should have been trying things a long time ago and have done very little. You know, so Twitter's... interestingly, they addressed this. Jack Dorsey addressed this exact thing in the, at the beginning of the call and yeah. said that, like, we know we've been slow. We have not kept up the pace uh, that our competitors have and we've spent a long time over the last year or so changing a lot of our business and a lot of our architecture to make sure that we're not going to be like that anymore so yeah and i think i think their their audio thing is a good example and and the groups that they suggest like groups yeah is such a good idea i think it's a good fit within twitter that you can have sort of like little sub conversations among people in a group mm-hmm. um that's obviously it's you know it's twitter's version of facebook groups or whatever but like i think twitter is a community there are communities on twitter right now everything is organized by hashtags or they're messy threads if you could clean that up and and make that a part of the surface i think that could be or the of the service that would be an asset to twitter um the the clubhouse feature right audio conversations or whatever well yes this is this goes with what we were saying uh last time about clubhouse like the biggest peril for clubhouse is that clubhouse you know casual audio chats and stuff it's a feature not a service and that if you put it on somebody else's social graph like twitter or facebook you've got it like does clubhouse need to exist at that point so i think it's smart for them to do that 
the supporter thing I think is fascinating. And, you know, the internet, everybody wants to say everything's like it's brilliant or it's terrible. And it's, it's never either of those things usually, except for Quibi, which is terrible. The, um, I think it's a good idea because I think there are some people who will, you know, their primary interface with people is Twitter. And so getting support for like premium Twitter from that person is, uh, is like their best move. And then they get all these other features along with it, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, there are a lot of us out there who have already put our membership stake in the ground somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a challenge for Twitter is that they've a lot of their great uh, creators on Twitter have already um, already built something somewhere else. And the way I read this is Twitter wants this to be a thing that they control, that it, Twitter is the interface. You pay Twitter, they kick it back, and you get all of this access to stuff. And I have a lot. So first off, you're asking people to ab- either abandon their other membership thing or to make a second membership fork that is offering different things, mm-hmm. which is weird. I'm unclear on the concept of like, they're, they're like, well, we can also do Substack. We're going to let you do a newsletter. It's like, all right, Twitter is building a newsletter interface like Substack. Are they, are they really doing that? It surely can't be close to best in class, right? It's probably going to be not as good. Um, as I also good worry Substack, that it's no. going to be, here are your tweets for the week, which is not a thing. That no, no, that it's like a full on, like, right. Substack. News. Yeah, they, they bought, the company right. that they bought was called Review. Okay, um, so they bought someone who does yeah, it. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So so this is my thing, though, is like, okay, so somebody new starting out who wants to do a newsletter can now do it through Twitter instead of Substack. And you, the question is, what is the financial deal there, right? Like, what is the financial deal? Is it, are you, is it uh, more money, less money, same money as Substack? Because combining your social media following that is driving your membership um, with also having the newsletter be rolled right in there, you know, maybe it's competitive, but we would have to see the quality of the tools and we have to see what the, what the money is. As you said, it may be way worse than something like Substack and, and not worth it, but it's possible that it could be something interesting. Um, my problem with it is I've already got, you know, through Relay, through the Incomparable, through Six Colors, I've got all, all sorts of existing membership stuff that we built ourselves on top of Memberful. That's the provider that we use. And so, you know, Twitter is not going to give me access to Twitter features, right? It would be, unless they offer something where I like, I pay them for access to their API or something like that. Basically, I can't go to Twitter unless I shut down my other things. And Twitter's not going to provide the level of of service, almost certainly, that something like, uh, like Memberful does to me. You don't have to shut down other things because it depends on what people are paying for, right? So like, because so, you know, you yeah. mentioned, right? Six Colors, uh, you know, upgrade memberships uh, and you've also got the incompliment. People are paying for content, right? Yeah, but... The, I know some people pay to support, but some people the, pay The problem for is it's the same... So... For example, this weekend, CGP Grey did a, a video release. His mm-hmm. Patreon post had two links to videos on YouTube, one of which I could see and the other of which said, you must be a member to view this. I, and, and I don't know if he's, I don't know the details there, but the, mm-hmm. my point is the challenge, especially if you're an individual creator of stuff, is if you, you can either say to your, your supporters, you just have to keep paying in different places. <laughs> or you have to say, you can pay there, you can pay here. 
uh, you'll get the same stuff. But now you are, as the person behind it, you have to fulfill them. And that means you now have to do this thing over here because only Twitter people get that. And you've got this community over here that's different and you, you don't want to leave them out. And I can set my price over here, but can I set my price over on Twitter or do they just have a standard four ninety nine a month and that's it? Uh, because that is a, a limitation too. So anyway, my point is, I'm fascinated by this. I think it's great that Twitter is trying to do this because there are people for whom this is the perfect fit. Yes. But I've also got a lot of skepticism Skepticism that in the beginning here, it's going to be a very particular set of features that will work for a very particular subset of people and not everyone else. And that if Twitter is serious about being in this business, they're going to need to... Maybe it's all my years following Apple when Apple makes big claims about stuff and entering a new category. But the danger is that you sweep in and say, oh, we are going to change this. And boom, here we are with the first iteration. And then they just let it sit there. Mm-hmm. And I look at this and I think, well, this is great, a great start, Twitter. But you will need to do a lot more for this to be a serious contender in this area. But you're right, it is it is a good start. And if they would have done this something like this some time ago, I think we'd all be using it. But but as you say, at this point, I think everybody, you know, a lot of content creators are over-indexed in the ways that you can support them yeah. anyway, right? There's a lot of options. I'd love to be able to offer my members a perk of being a super follower on Twitter, but that's not going to happen. No, because right? that doesn't make any sense. Because Twitter, Twitter wants their money. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm not going to say I won't do this because at some point Twitter might come up with some feature that it does make sense for me. But with the current set of features, I just don't have content that I think I could offer you, right? There are there are also a lot of people who are like, what they do is Twitter. Yeah. And what they do is like threads and pictures and whatever mm-hmm. on Twitter accounts. And that is, they don't have another platform. No. And for them, I think this is fantastic but also i think a lot of people that have tried and have tried to launch a patreon and that what they do is this kind of stuff moving to twitter's platform would make sense because it's going to be more integrated and it's going to be easier for people to support you for the thing that they know you for which is like your twitter jokes or your twitter commentary right that like but but for most people you know like the financials of patreon are going to be way better than this because you know, like Twitter is an app that exists on the App Store. Patreon exists on the web. So Patreon, you're only dealing with Patreon's cut. You're not dealing yeah. with Apple and Google's cut as well. Right. Right. So, you know, you're going to, you lose money there, right? Everyone's going to lose money there. Uh, but like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important to remember for a lot of people that there is the, the content thing. So like I've started doing Twitch and Twitch has its monetization thing and I have that stuff on and some people choose to support the Twitch streams directly, but they may also be Relay members and they're getting content through there. But sure. like, I just don't feel like I as a creator right now have something to put into the system that I would suggest people to pay me for, right? But if we didn't have a membership program, Maybe I would do that for the people that would want to support me just because they enjoy sure. all of my stuff, right? Eh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's really interesting. Like, again, I don't, have a, I don't have a yay or nay here other than to say they should have done this a long time ago. Because honestly, all, so many, not all, but so many of the Patreons and Substacks and things that are out there have been dramatically improved by Twitter marketing. 
of yes. those personalities. Yep. And Twitter got completely cut out of that <laughs> because they weren't there with their own approach until sometime this year when they arrive. So they, they kind of blew it, but I still think there's opportunity for them here. Yeah, I think Substack probably stands the most to lose here of all of the companies that I mentioned earlier. I, well, yeah. So here's here's the thing about Substack, which is uh, it's good. Uh, my impression, I, I subscribe subscribe to a couple of Substacks, um, but it's a newsletter, right? Like that. That's the thing is it's like Clubhouse, a feature. Mm-hmm. It's a feature, not anything more than that. It's not even a social network, although they're sort of trying that. It's like it's not. It's a feature. It's it's Substack is, um is a is like blogger it's literally a content management system and a an e-commerce system attached to each other that's all it is and so they're getting by with the with the 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 name of it the quality of their tools and the fact that they've got investor money to prepay a bunch of star creators to go to substack in order to kind of boot the thing up but substack is replicable literally everywhere else yeah and especially as you say when substack like creators and writers their marketing tool is twitter so like right we just cut out all of the middle clicks because you lose so many people by sending them somewhere else to sign up for a thing or click a thing or like having that into their card in or whatever and i already love their tweets now i get all their tweets plus their newsletter and it's all in one place on twitter like not everybody is a twitter user that's the other part of this is like but if you're not a Twitter user, it's prob- it'll probably still work, right? You probably go to a newsletter's uh, Twitter. You'll have a link that you can go to to sign up for the newsletter and pay for it. And you'll also get Twitter whatever, but it, you don't have to use Twitter for that. And that'll probably work. And and you're right. It is a Substack competitor. And yeah, I think it's, we're getting very, we're in, we're in Ben Thompson's world now. He writes about mm-hmm. this stuff all the time. But like my take on this is that, uh, although Twitter missed an, a huge opportunity here, if Twitter is a thing that is driving engagement for people who are, uh, who are building this stuff and then uh, selling subscriptions for it, then it would be a natural place for you to move your stuff. If the, if the, the whole package is better than what's offered on something like Substack, I'm skeptical that what they've offered here, what they, what they've announced is so limited that, Substack creators are going to be like, I'm, I'm going to make m- way more money over here than over there. The Twitter's taking more because it's giving you the the sheen of having a magic Twitter account now that people can follow and super follow and all of that. And that that is, uh, they're taking more money off the table. They're reducing your flexibility yeah. and all those things. But I don't know, the, the opportunity there, if they follow through and they listen to what uh, what customers want out of them, it could be pretty big and it could be threatening to Patreon and Substack and others. Yeah, because, you know, uh, what I was saying earlier about the, the, the money difference, like, again, you would make more money as a Substack creator than a Twitter super follow person. But it's, again, it's about like, but what is your total addressable audience? You know, could could you make it up in volume, that old phrase? Right. But there is a but that's like a genuine thing here for something like this. When if they're going to offer the same features plus more features that could potentially entice more people, like you might not 
so you, you know you might not be able to say to someone like hey sign up for my newsletter they might not want that but if they sign up for my newsletter plus these extra tweets plus we can talk in spaces they might be like yeah okay you've sold me right and so like it's i think for people that are in this world specifically uh i think it's going to be quite a interesting tool and quite an in- a difficult decision to make I think I think you're going to uh-huh. see a period of time where people have their Substack newsletter and their newsletter, which is provided by Twitter Super Follow feature, right? Until they've yeah. decided which one they wanna uh, they wanna stand by. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting, and I am definitely pleased to see Twitter leveraging what they are good at to not just make themselves money, but to get their creators paid. Now. We, you've talked a little bit about how this is similar to what Twitch does. And I want to flip it around and say one of the interesting things that they could do is they could still offer the Twitter Pro as a user. I pay Twitter money and I mm-hmm. get some features from it. I imagine that one of the things you might get out of that is the ability to super follow Twitter Prime. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because this is if you don't know if you were an Amazon Prime subscriber, you get one a month, a credit to give to a Twitch. Uh, channel that you like and you get all of the benefits of being a uh, a subscriber to that Twitch channel and that's a very good point that I hadn't thought of because it's still like will they do some kind of Twitter Pro where they remove ads well they could also do that and give you one credit as Jason says and you could throw that credit to someone and get all of the features like that you get for one month which is also like for what what is good for Twitch Prime is it's also a taster of that yeah. experience for for a channel, and then you might want to then support it. So, very interesting. This interesting time for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, yeah. it would have been better in 2017 or Definitely. 2015, but at least Twitter. I I use Twitter all the time. I like Twitter a lot. Um, it's got its issues, but I, you know I find great value in it, and um, I'm happy that they have finally gotten to the point where they realize they need to do stuff like this um it's not all going to be good a lot of it might be bad i don't know but not doing anything is not a solution so i'm glad they're trying i hope they bring these features to the api as well so everyone can get them yeah well i think that's i actually think these go hand in hand so for people who don't know there was this long period where twitter basically said we decided we want to own everybody in our app and we're going to reduce access to our api for third-party apps and you know basically third-party apps buzz off and they never really quite buzzed off like twitterific and tweetbot are still out there but um it was a dark time (laughs) and now there's a new twitter api and um theoretically those apps and i guess tweetbot now does support this can can be can work with the new api for twitter and and create a uh, modern twitter experience that they've never had access to because the old api is very old it doesn't fe- doesn't support even things like polls right it just doesn't support any feature twitter has added in the last many many years so um I assume that part of this whole thing is the new API that what they want to do is give access to all of these new features to the new API to get apps on the new API. Um, because now Twitter has ways to make money. Um, the access to the API isn't free so that they get money from the app developers and they've got money happening in the app in terms of, uh, super followers and other stuff. And so, yeah, I, my, my, 
expectation is that these new features will roll out in their API, and that means that third-party apps will get to support them too, because this is a lot less interesting to a lot of us if you can't use it in a third-party app. This episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas make the most comfortable socks in the history of feet, and they have rethought every detail of the socks that we wear to make them more comfortable. And I can attest to that. My Bombas socks are the most comfortable socks I've ever put on my feet. I friggin' love these things. They're so comfortable. They've got cushioning in them, which is really nice. They don't have these like uncomfortable seams that kind of like can move around on the sock. Like really, really good. And I love the styles that they have. They have nice plain ones. They have great pattern ones. They do collaborations every now and again to make some special edition ones. There's loads of great options. They do great packs that you can buy. So you can just get all of your sock needs catered for <laughs> with Bombas. It's really great. And these socks do more than keep feet cozy. They also help give back to vulnerable members of communities because for every pair of socks that you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. And thanks to the generosity of Bombas customers, they have donated over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of more than 3,000 giving partners. To those experiencing homelessness, these socks represent the dignity of putting on clean clothes, which is something that's more important, more powerful than ever right now. Those small comforts really go a long way. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash upgrade. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade for 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that is bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to follow to uh, to finish up today's episode. Braden asks, what is your opinion on anti-malware for Macs? Now, just before you answer, mm. when I put this question in, I felt like I knew your answer, and I've known your answer for years on this. I just wondered if it's changed in any way. Uh, not really. Not really? Because there does seem to be more problems these days, but I guess the problem with a lot of this software is it does so much bad to your computer in its own ways, like anti-malware and antivirus solutions, especially on Macs, they don't seem to add much. But I do feel like I'm seeing more and more stories of like this exploit, that exploit. Do you feel like you see more of them, but it just doesn't change your opinion on it? There's absolutely absolutely evidence that suggests that there are more attacks happening on Mac computers than ever before. That there are malware authors who have decided that the Mac platform is a big enough target that it's worth targeting it. Um, I it, it certainly hasn't reached the point now where I look at it and think everybody should buy anti-malware software. Mm-hmm. There's some free anti-malware software that you can run if you're worried. Like, I think Malwarebytes offers a free version. But uh, the truth is, I think that there's, I think there's more uh, fear because it's still relatively rare than there is an actual need for this for most people. Like, and, and the danger also is that a lot of this stuff, when the new stuff comes out, so first off, Apple has a layer where they actually do kill stuff that's bad. Um, there's new stuff that comes out that Apple hasn't yet marked as bad that a lot of the malware stuff also hasn't marked as bad. Um, and then, so there's a, there's a window where the malware can get on there, but if you have a malware software and it gets updated and they find it, you know, so it can, I don't know, it can have value. I have never run it 
And it's never at the top of my list to recommend to other people because I think it causes issues with your computer. It's more work on your computer and it probably doesn't, you're probably not going to get anything like that. That said, some people, (laughs) I mean, like if I had a relative who clicked on, I did actually have this once with my sister, um, who clicked on one of those, like, you know, you have a problem, click here to download things that is a, mm-hmm. on the web that deploys malware. I would probably guide those people into running anti-malware software because I feel like the biggest way you get malware on a Mac is somebody who doesn't understand what they're seeing does something that they shouldn't. Um, but, you know, and I make, I make all the malware people very angry when I say this, but it's like, the truth is I've used a Mac for ages and I don't use malware software and I don't think the threat has risen to the point where uh, everybody should get it. There are people who probably, if you're taking care of their computer life and, and they're, you don't think they're trustworthy, that you might want to just load some malware software on there because they may do bad things. But I do think that it, it is worth watching this because if this trend continues, it may become necessary. Like there's a story out there about how, oh, it's the first M1 uh, mm-hmm. malware in in the field like that was a big deal like it's not like literally that's fine the the, um, the intel malware will still run in rosetta it's fine <laughs> like i'm not sure it makes any difference but it is a trend and it is a worrying trend and uh and so it's worth it's worth keeping our eye on it and if you administer computers whether it's in an institution or or uh for your friends and family it's worth watching, but like personally as a Mac user, I'm not really interested in it. Um, and I am not willing to make a recommendation that people use it. And it's very hard to test this stuff too, right? I can be like, Oh, well you should all go out and download this software and pay for it. And, and it will solve your problem, but it's very hard to test malware stuff because what about, it's always the next thing. What about the next thing? Will it, will it catch the next thing? I don't know. Does, how quickly do the definitions update? What's its approach? And I, I'm, I don't feel that we've got really good answers about that. We used to try to test that stuff back in my computer magazine days, and it's extremely hard to do. So I don't know. My opinion is sort of like a general, general skepticism, and I don't use it myself, and I don't recommend it to other people, but I can see where it has some value in certain circumstances, and that it is a rising threat that may become much more relevant in the uh, years ahead for Mac users. John asks, do you ever use the clock, clock app icon to check the time on the iPhone? No. I have some very specific times where I've done this. I use it to know, if I need to know the exact moment a minute is going to change, I use the clock app icon. So a good example of this is, if we ever have an embargoed release on an episode of Upgrade, I am hovering over the publish button, watching the seconds tick away. So I know when it's going to happen, and then as soon as it goes, I hit it. So I don't have to wait for the number to change. Like I'm counting it down in my head. So I use the clock app icon for that. Or like if something, if I'm waiting for something to go on sale at a certain time or whatever, I can watch it. So then I know when to refresh the page. So I use the clock app icon for that because I figure it is the one of, if not the most accurate seconds counter uh, that I have available to me. I would use the Apple Watch if I was wearing the Apple Watch for the same deal. So 
very particular use. But I also do have the clock app on my uh, home screen anyway for alarms and stuff. Rajiv asks, do you think Apple will ever update system apps like music and photos through the App Store? No. <laughs> I'm just going to answer no to every question then. No, I don't. And and my reason is, uh, well, no one lets a court orders them to. Mm-hmm. How about that? Is that a good answer? But failing that, every system, how many times a year does Apple do a system update? Like many times a year. They can update those apps and do sometimes at any point along with it. The, pro- the thing with a lot of these apps is that they are using specific system APIs. And... It's they're deeply tied into the system. They really are deeply tied into the system. And if you, you know, you're like, oh, well, this new version of of the OS includes a new version of the music app that adds this new feature that requires this new version of the OS. You move that version to the app store and now you've got to have like, well, you can't get this version because you aren't on this other version. So you need to wait. And you updated to the new version, but it's not using the new version of the app because you haven't updated there. It's like, Unless a court makes them do it, I think that that these things are, one, they're integrated with the system. That's why they update them along with the system. And two, they update the system frequently enough that um, it is very rarely an issue that um, you're waiting around for an app update because the system update hasn't come out. Um, And, you know, I suppose the big issue is if there is a catastrophic bug in one of these apps and then you wait for a system update for six months i get it that's annoying but if it's catastrophic they should just do a a system update and fix the bug so i think apple likes it the way it is because it's tied in with all of their system stuff and they prefer it that way Mm -hmm. um and that if a court said you can't do that anymore then they would have to not do it but other than that i think they're going to keep it forever like that uh i i would like the the idea of Apple system apps updating more frequently, but I, as you're saying, I'm aware that like that's not most of the time it's really a thing that can happen anyway. Like the 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 updates would be small if any. Like I like how frequently shortcuts updates. I feel like we get multiple updates to shortcuts a year, which I think is really good. I wouldn't mind seeing some things popping out every now and again. Yeah, you know, like I feel like say like an app like Notes, Reminders, and Mail only ever receives updates. Um, when the OS like changes over and some of the stuff maybe doesn't need to wait for but I don't think that I would get what if they did decouple it from an operating system I don't think I would get what I want right which is like significant updates like other third party apps yeah. would do if it was magic like that where it's like yeah. oh boy you know if we if music is in the app store suddenly music gets an update with bug fixes and general improvements every three weeks it's like great that's not gonna happen yeah, because it's like it's it's a, that's a too much of a dream scenario, right? Which I'm totally aware of. But in my dream scenario, it would be super great if they if they sure. weren't tied to it. And uh, P Habad says, does Jason still prefer writing with an iPad and external keyboard over using a laptop? If so, why? Or if not, what's changed? Uh I uh, yes, I still do. Okay. And the reason is I like iOS. <laughs> I like iPadOS. I like writing on it. I, I feel it's less distracting to have the single window window interface with an app. Uh, even though I can do that on the Mac, it's different. It's different. And I also like 
having my little my little case and and or my little uh, stand thing and my external keyboard which is different than a laptop right it's not in my lap putting the the laptop up on my desk is not um or up on the uh, the bar stool let's say uh it's not it's not great like the ipad setup is better there and even i was writing uh in my backyard on a warm day last week and i did that on uh ipad with magic keyboard because again I kind of like the shifting gears and being super focused and it's a lot harder to flip over to it's not impossible it's it's just a little bit harder to flip over to Twitter or Slack or whatever in my feeling like just mentally I'm more focused on writing when I do that and it's a change of pace from when I'm sitting on my desk looking at a blinking cursor in BB editor Mars edit right it's it's different and and being in a different place with a different kind of setup helps me write too. So I do now have an M1 MacBook Air. I do use it occasionally um, when I'm writing about the Mac and I don't want to be in my office. That's a good one because I can use the laptop for reference. Mm. Uh, And so sometimes it's helpful to write about the Mac on the Mac, not because of some weird, like I must write about the Mac on the Mac, but like literally I have to refer to what's going on on a Mac and like look at the menus and take screenshots and stuff. And it's obviously very difficult to do that on an iPad because I'm not on the Mac then. So uh, sometimes I'll do that. But for the most part, yeah, I'm still writing. When I'm away from my desk, I am writing on an iPad using an external keyboard or a Magic Keyboard. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, or you can use a question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you get access to if you support this show by going to getupgradeplus.com. Not only do you get access to the Discord, access to a bunch of RelayFM member benefits, if you sign up at getupgradeplus.com, you get longer episodes of Upgrade every single week with no ads, and you'll be helping support this show directly. If you are doing that already, thank you so much for your support. It means an awful lot to us. Uh, You can find uh, more information about this episode, links and stuff in your podcast app of choice, but we also put them on the web at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 341. Thank you to Smile, DoorDash, and Bombas for their support of this week's episode. And thank you for listening. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com, go to incomparable.com. Jason hosts many shows here at Relay FM, like I do as well. You can go to relay.fm slash shows to find those. Uh, Jason is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. Goodbye, all plus symbols attached to streaming services everywhere. Goodbye.